Don't you worry about a thing. Jesus Christ is still the King. Welcome to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr on Iowa Catholic Radio. Every Wednesday, diving deep in the truth of the Catholic Church and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from the Mercy Live Up Studio. On the air, I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. But people are confused. It's not 9 o'clock. It is 8.30. Are we just storming the airwaves? No. It's a new era. And we haven't had that much of an era, by the way. It seems like we've been on for a while, Bud, but we really haven't. <laughs> My body feels a little bit confused um, to be here. <laughs> I know the the morning people out there are probably just guffawing. But the, 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 it's not that I wasn't going to be awake, but I wasn't going to be talking into a microphone at this time. That's right. And it felt but, good to uh, kick John Leonetti out of the studio. Though. I know. We were like, get your banana peels and leave. So, <laughs> he, he did leave some sort of... There, I mean, uh, you know, we talk about how the sausage is made, you know, because you can't see us, but a lot of bananas go into John's show. I think people need to know this. And a Comrex. John, if you're listening, you left some sort of contraption in the studio. You left a transformer in here. I'm literally swimming around it to get to the microphone. (laughs) So, yes, the Uncommon Good, Iowa Catholic Radio, live from Mercy Live Up Studio in beautiful Des Moines, Iowa. 11.50 a.m., 88.5 FM, 94.5 FM. Streaming live, iowacatholicradio.com. And if you are lucky enough to have the Iowa Catholic Radio app that we have from Blessman Ministry and the People's Abstract Company, you can listen to us darn tootin' near anywhere. No, yeah, but so other than, you know, you actually don't even have your PJs on you. We're, we're, we're dressed to the nines. No, I thought it's photo day at the station, right? Photo day at the station. So I comb my hair. When we came in, Tony Calmiette was singing Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good. No, that's, it was quite the performance. So not only are we up at 8.30 and dressed, uh, I think we've been praying, lifting the vocal weights, getting prepared to talk to you folks for an hour and 10 minutes. Actually very excited about this because I do feel like sometimes we get really on a roll and yeah. that's right about the time that we have to shut down conversation. So I think that we have uh, a new era of really getting to flesh out stuff. Um, that's easy to say two minutes into the show. <laughs> we'll see what it's like uh, you know, when we're a good uh, 50 minutes into it. Yeah, I can think back to a few interviews where it felt like we cut somebody off. We'll see how good that we do, though. You know, in class... I always think three hours is going to be enough, and then you get to 250 or whenever it is, and it feels a little crunched at the end. So Now we can take those very uh, pregnant, silent pauses that John <laughs> Leonetti does so much. So, Bud, how do you feel today? Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, f- I feel okay. We, you know, I don't always like to bring things back to baseball because not all of our listeners are baseball fans. But What's their problem? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, I love you too, soccer people. <laughs> the St. Louis Cardinals are certainly in a tailspin. Last night, what was it, 13-1? to 1, and Oh, yeah. Scooter Jennings for the Reds had four home runs. Only the seventeenth time in MLB history. Uh, yeah, I know. We, it was it was T ball. <laughs> painful. <laughs> it was painful. Yeah, and then um, uh, actually, Bud and I both had a lot of hope for college baseball, and then both of our teams were dashed. Yeah. So baseball has been a harsh and cruel mistress. Uh, but you know what? Sports is really just like that, folks. The reason I would tell you that you need to let your kids get into sports is so they know what disappointment and defeat is like and how to like walk around the office the next day feeling sad. Sometimes you win, right? Cubs fans. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just 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 for this year. We'll see. You have to pray for a long life as a Cubs fan. You have to pray. to experience those highs. Longevity. Yeah. <laughs> well, um so even with our new hour plus long show, as always, we're underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences. Um, we are in the middle of the summer semester. Uh, what are we, week four? Week five. Week five. I really feel <clears throat> this is where we start getting, yeah. uh, you know, hitting the stride of all of it. Um, well, yesterday you were having a meeting on campus. Well, can this cat go out of the bag? Oh, sure. You're, you're working alongside other Catholic colleges in Iowa, right? Yeah. To, to, to kick off um, a program, I guess, for faculty to strengthen their faith. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, b- beyond anything else, I think uh, it's a great thing to say that, you know, Mercy College, you know, we, we obviously, we love having our students. There's so much that we get to do here in the community, but we're also reaching out to the other Iowa Catholic schools uh, and really talking about what we have in common. So it's a really wonderful thing to be able to work for a place that makes uh, not only connection with their students in the community, but also the wider Iowa Catholic community as well. Also underwritten uh, by Cartridge World? So Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. It's perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies, including ink, paper, toner, or printers. Business For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400, and online, cartridgeworld.com. I should also say for Mercy College... Um, there's all sorts of ways that you can hear us. Uh, we, we were on iTunes, on the old podcast. I'm still not quite sure what that technology means. I just know that um, Steve Jobs' uh, uh, descendants put us daily uh, or weekly, whatever, where you can hear us. Um, we're also on Simplecast. Uh, we have a Facebook page. But also, if you go to mchs.edu slash cm, cm for campus ministry, um, you can see what all we're doing at campus ministry at Mercy College. But then we also have the Uncommon Good archive, so you don't have to actually download anything. You can just go see whichever episode you want to hit or listen to, hit play, and there you go. Well, bringing up campus ministry at Mercy College, Bo, I would encourage any of our listeners who work in the downtown area, um, I, I think as the campus minister there, you've done a great job of make it a more robust liturgical life. So every Tuesday around noon, we're doing the daily office now. And then there's various mass opportunities. I know Corpus Christi, you've got something planned. Oh, that's right. We're going to have a Corpus Christi mass because this will be our first mass. Uh, we're getting the, the Eucharist back in the tabernacle. So people will actually be able to come to the Mercy College uh, chapel and be in the real the presence of Christ. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, Corpus Christi. Um, we don't have it dead set, but I'm guessing 4.30 p.m. if you have the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we get to do now is actually, you know, we talk about not being rushed. So we get to chit-chat a bit more at the top of the hour. Uh, so, Bud, do we have any more pregnant pauses and, you know, really profound things that we want to say before we go to the next break? I don't know. I'm racking my brains. What's, um, what's going on in the world besides baseball? Or do you just tune the rest of it out? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, if we start, should we start talking about news? I mean, that that could really alienate yeah. all sorts of viewers. Yeah. Not not even on purpose, just by sheerly pointing out what's going on in the world at the moment. <laughs> we better stick with baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, baseball and rivalry is yeah. uh, less factitious than uh, everything going on. No, uh, people, when it comes to uh, summer, other than the old Bonner adage that your kids will inevitably... Actually, my pale children have not sunburned yet. Have yours? 
No, most of those do pretty well. Um, a couple of ours inherited more of my family's genetics, so they tan well. And then the other two, Rachel just lathers them in sunblock. I've been actually very envious because like, I have a lot of memories of just shedding skin like an old snake because my parents didn't know how to properly put sunscreen on. And as you can tell, you could probably even tell by my voice, I'm a very pale person audience. <laughs> uh, and they, do, you know what? It's not fair. Is that the, I, you know, half of my family tans really well. My brother gets so tan that uh, when he lived in Phoenix, people came up and spoke Spanish to him. Yeah. Um, never, never a problem with me. Uh, no one's ever mistaken that. Um, what I'm getting at, though, is summer is actually a good time. Uh, you get to see a lot more family. People get to yeah. go uh, do cookouts and things like this. And um, I guess what I'm trying to point out is, is it's really easy to want to stay in the air conditioning. Uh, Lord knows that that sounds fun to me sometimes. But I just want to encourage you to go see that family member one more time. Go to the cookout. Put on the sunscreen. <laughs> it's not going to be uh, – you, you won't regret it. Well, I uh, think it's also, uh, when, in saying that, Bo, a time where we need to be intentional about our faith. Because our world is structured in such a way that summer is just kind of a natural downtime. And so that can be a time to recharge and spend more time with family. But also even, you know, I think even kind of the language of the liturgy, like we're, we're walking through ordinary time, you can just, I don't know about other people, but get kind of complacent. But, I mean, the great thing about the Catholic faith is we, we finished Pentecost, and there's still these great feasts that fall in the wake of it. Oh, I know. Blessed we have Sacrament. The Blessed uh, yeah, Corpus Christi. Yeah, Corpus Christi, Holy Trinity Sunday, uh, the Sacred Heart. Um, there's not a lack of being able to celebrate our faith, celebrate family, and uh, so, yeah, get out there. I hope all of you on vacation travel safely as well um, and enjoy nature, which actually was the segue that I was slowly walking oh, towards. <laughs> I knocked you off the path. No, no, it's great. Um, today, we're going to talk about nature with Dr. Brian Cross. Uh, he is an assistant professor of philosophy at Mount Mercy University over in Cedar uh, Rapids, Iowa. Um, we hear about nature, we hear about environmentalism, we hear about these things, and they can sound, like we always point out, abstract, and when things are abstract, but most people really seem to ignore them. What we want to talk about is specifically considering it under the guise of Catholic social teaching and the common good, we could start to understand creation, and that by understanding the natural world as creation, we will have a different relationship to it. So that's what we're going to consider. We're going to have an interview with Brian Cross when we get back here in a minute. Stick around. The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr at our new time in our new space. Not our new space, our new length of time. See you in a minute. Iowa Catholic Radio will be hosting our next Ladies Mosaic Luncheon starting at noon, June 8th at Our Lady of the Immaculate Heart Parish in Ankeny. Join the Mosaic community of Catholic women who meet monthly for lunch and fellowship. This month's luncheon will feature Jenny Condon from Intervisions Healthcare. They provide women facing unplanned pregnancies with truthful information, ultrasounds, and free medical care. There is no charge for the lunch, so pre-register now at iowacatholicradio.com under Events tab or call 515-223-1150. Are you suffering emotionally or spiritually after an abortion? At Intervisions Healthcare, we believe you deserve healing and support. We found that there are no quick fixes, but meeting with others who share the same pain can be a good start. To learn more about how this healing ministry can help you, call Intervisions at 515-440-2273. Ask for Jenny. Intervisions Healthcare. It's a safe and confidential place to begin the healing you deserve. 
Thank you, R&R Realty Group, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. R&R Realty Group is an Iowa commercial real estate owner and developer that provides services for all commercial real estate needs, including brokerage, interior space planning, real estate management, construction, and more. R&R Realty Group has been accommodating business expansions and real estate solutions since 1985, solving commercial real estate needs. R&R Realty Group, establishing long-term relationships built on trust. At Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we put your mind at ease with the Gold Club membership. I'm Bobby from Golden Rule, where our Gold Club members get automatic twice-a-year system checks, a full plumbing inspection, no-trip charges, and front-of-the-line service. At Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we obey the five rules to live by every single day. We deliver respect, understanding, loyalty, expertise, and service every time you call. Home is where your heart is. The Gold Club membership helps you protect it. Online at goldenrollphc.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr at our new bat time. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. Same bat channel. Uh, we have with us today, uh, look, you know, we, we like giving out uh, participation trophies. We have one today. We have our first guest who's going to be with us for the long haul, 40 minutes. Our good friend, Dr. Brian Cross, Assistant Professor of Philosophy in the Department of Religion and Philosophy at Mount Mercy University over in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Brian, thank you for choosing to uh, to do this mighty feat, to being the first person to talk to us this long. You're welcome. Good morning, uh, Bo and Bud. So I also want to point out that uh, not only is Brian, we, we see him because he's not that far away. For instance, he was just on campus yesterday. Um, but you guys have the St. Louis connection, Bud. Yeah, we go back a little ways. We were um, um, talking yesterday about shared friends, and I think our our paths crossed a couple times, but it was great to see Brian yesterday and, and catch up a little bit. You too, bud. Now, Brian, real quick before we get into the meat and potatoes of our talk, did you decide to like the St. Louis Cardinals too at that time? Because if so, you can be a third person that can be sad for how they're playing right now. <laughs> well, my wife is from St. Louis, and so um, living there for a while, I became a fan over time. So, yes. Yeah, I'm it, suffering with you. Yeah, there, just just a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering going on. Well, to talk about a happier prod, uh, uh, okay. subject, let's talk about uh, environmental degradation. No, I'm kidding. Um, Brian, w- what we wanted to talk about today, uh, it, I, if, you've, if you've heard our show, and I know I've talked to you about some of these things, um, we like to point out that a lot of the concepts and the, and the things that people struggle with when it comes to social teaching or social issues is if they remain in the abstract, people can either ignore them or they can get a sort of perverted sense of what they mean. And then it gets really strange for them to sort of place those concerns in their life. And for me, one of the, the cardinal examples of this is the environment. In one way, I don't think anyone deep in their heart would ever argue that we should treat the environment bad. Like, I, 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 I remember all the commercials in the 80s about, like, don't pollute and things like this. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we have people walking around like the 70s anymore just, you know, throwing garbage left and right. I'm sure there's someone, but that doesn't seem to be the big problem. The big problem seems to be in the abstract we can care about the environment or nature, two words that just show how abstracted this concern has become. But how do we make it a day-to-day concrete concern for people? And how is it that the Catholic social teaching and understanding of the common good might be able to have this land for people? And so that's the discussion that we want to have today. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've had um, a few opportunities to get to talk about these things. 
Mm-hmm. Boy, this is a big question. Um, one of the things you see in Pope Francis's Laudato Si', I assume you've already mentioned that or talked about it, this encyclical that uh, came out in 2015 concerning the environment. Uh, one thing I noticed in this document is he talks about, um, he mentions three, but there's actually four, e- even in the document, four um, harmonies, four relations that are interconnected, according to Pope Francis. One of them is the relationship between God and man, and another is between man and himself. And then a third is between man and society. So when I say man and himself, I mean our internal relationships with ourselves, loving ourselves. And then thirdly, our relationship to our neighbor, uh, so that horizontal kind of relationship. And then fourthly, this relationship between man and the environment or nature or creation, broadly speaking. And what Pope Francis says is that in the same way that we've kind of more clearly seen that the relationship between God and our neighbor is connected. You can't love God and hate your neighbor, right? So these two relationships are interconnected. In that same way, our relationship between God and our relationship between creation is interconnected, so that we can't just destroy nature or have a disordered relationship with nature and at the same time love God. And I think that's a way of situating what this encyclical is doing, is helping us see that we have an ethical obligation as part of the gospel. Uh, Part of the gospel is including this care for nature and creation in the sense of it it accompanies the doctrine of creation. Um, That's part of what it means to live out the Christian life as part of the gospel. And sometimes I think we see, uh, I saw a graphic last year of someone saying, we're not called to uh, take care of the earth, we're called to save souls. And I kind of winced when I saw that, because I thought, well, that's really a false dichotomy. From, from a Catholic point of view, caring for nature is part of living out the gospel. You see this in Scripture, don't you, Brian, that, um, you know, the initial vocation that God gives humanity, uh, part of that involves being fruitful and multiplying, and, and marriage is instituted from the very beginning. But God also tells um, the first humans to to till the earth, to keep the earth, and if I remember correctly, the language there is language that derives from the temple, from the priestly ministry. So in a sense, we offer up the earth as, you know, um, the gifts of the earth back to God in Thanksgiving, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, here, I think there are two things we could say here. One is that the doctrine of creation is a, a kind of uh, transcendent third between two alternative positions that you might see. One would be kind of deification of of nature, seeing it as a kind of small-g god. Uh, We can see this more historically, and in some cases even today, where the value and goodness of the earth is overrated, as it were. Um, But the other side is the one that Pope Francis addresses more specifically and explicitly in the document, and this is the kind of reduction of uh, nature and, and earth to just raw material just something that's the product of chance that we can just exploit however we wish. And the doctrine of creation situates this, our understanding of nature b- between those two in a, in a transcendent way. It's not just the middle position on the spectrum, but it calls us to see nature as a gift from above so that it doesn't just, it didn't just come from chance and it's not just there to exploit, nor is it a kind of demanding deity. Uh, rather, it's something that we're called to give stewardship over. So we've been entrusted with this gift of creation, 
and we are called, therefore, to maintain it, preserve it, and hand it down to our, our offspring, our future generations. And that's something that follows from the doctrine of creation, that, that all of nature is a gift to us from our Heavenly Father. And something that Pope Francis does you know, in this encyclical is to clarify this idea of dominion. So from that Genesis text, you know, to, call to, to exercise dominion. Well, that's been misunderstood uh, largely by so many people, and he corrects that. It's been misunderstood as giving a green light, as it were, to exploitation, unlimited, unbridled exploitation. And he says that's just not, that's an incorrect way of understanding that passage. Uh, he, he helps us by clarifying that this is actually a call to stewardship. I think um, what I'm reminded of, I, I'm throwing this out like people might have just read it, um, so forgive me for being an egghead, but uh, Martin Heidegger has a term called the standing reserve, and he says that this is how um, we've come to view nature. You're talking about this as a, a vast uh, pit of raw material. <clears throat> but there's this way in which we think of nature, uh, nature especially, I think we think of a lot of things like this, but nature especially as a commodity that's waiting, just, you know, just waiting to be used. And we'll even talk about this by making, you know, futures predictions on everything from uh, wheat to how many pigs there will be. I mean, you know, those are things we use, but we, we do this with all of nature. We think of the sea as a resource. We talk about all of these things as if there's a big cupboard uh, that we live amongst to just be able to do with as we please, instead of seeing the sort of interrelationship between them, to, to, to note what you've said. I think part of this has to do with what it means when we talk about justice once it stops, once it's larger than just justice between human beings. Mm -hmm. I think times people think about justice in terms of, okay, the classic definition to give each one their due. All right, we can kind of see that. We might argue about it, but we understand about giving other human beings their due, whether it's someone I know intimately that I have a lot that I owe them to just the person on the street. What does it mean when we start talking about justice towards non-human entities? Well, we already do this right with God. We talk about religion as uh, what is owed to God, right? The, our worship of him is what is owed him. But do we ever think about that in terms of creation? And just the word creation, of course, means that that, the, that which is around us, that nature, is a creature like us, a created thing, and therefore it too, uh, just by its mere existence, demands not only respect, but this idea of justice. Do you think that that might be something that's hard for people to think about, is that Catholic social teaching would say there is a justice that is owed uh, to the non-human order? For sure. Uh, again, I think that there's, uh, on two sides, we can err on two sides here. One is to, again, see nature as just raw material to be used, like you said, and the other one is to kind of elevate it. Um, you know, elevate it to the point where it's to be deified in some sense. I think that what helps is seeing that things have uh, a nature. Things have a kind of intrinsic dignity, as Pope Francis says. It's not just humans that are made in the image of God. Yes, we are made in the image of God in a unique way as rational beings, but uh, Pope Francis helps us see that every creature reflects something about the perfections of the Creator. And so every creature, in some sense, bears the image of God and has a kind of intrinsic dignity. And that's a concept that's harder for us to grasp, even when it comes to humans. What is intrinsic dignity? How do we see intrinsic dignity? But if we take what he calls the technocratic paradigm, or this kind of 
mechanical reductionist you know way of looking at nature we lose sight of intrinsic dignity and when we lose sight of intrinsic dignity in the natural order then we lose sight of what justice obliges us to give to nature we just see it again as raw material with no limitations or restrictions in terms of how we ought to treat it or what is what is due to it say for example abuse of animals you know if you don't see um, the kind of intrinsic dignity of creatures and what is owed to them according to their nature, then you think, well, I can just do to them whatever I wish. Um, and that's where we are today in large measure. I mean, some people are recognizing at the level of pain we have an obligation to creatures, but the underlying natural order and the intrinsic dignity of creatures is not something that's usually appealed to to justify proper treatment of nature. You're listening to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Bud Marr. Um, Brian, that's great stuff. You know, let's be honest, in our context, these things get politicized in kind of a negative sense of the term where you think about, I, I don't know, you sometimes hear environmentalism and think about a concern on the left, and then, broadly speaking, life issues is a concern on the right. One thing that's fascinating to me about Pope Francis' encyclical is he connects these these concerns talking about a throwaway culture, and he says, you know, this kind of throwaway culture that has developed it's the same driving force that can cause um, uh, a lack of concern for the elderly. That you know, it's it's the same thing that f- for a lot of people um, is uh, related to abortion. And then he says, what the things that you're talking about, a, a lack of a, a, de- a true concern for the earth, all of those are related to this throwaway culture. For sure, and I think that goes back to these four harmonies that we talked about earlier. Uh, some people tend to think about uh, our obligation to. Uh, creation and non-human creatures as only being something that if we abuse animals, for example, then we'll, the only reason that's wrong is because it might incline us to abuse humans. But that's just not the way Pope Pratt, he explicitly rejects that view uh, in the document. And he says that uh, these ways of relating to nature, the embryo, the elderly, and so on, they're all connected because they all have an underlying uh, source or cause, and that is the, the failure to see the intrinsic dignity, like I was saying earlier, of, of creation. So uh, it's not just by accident that we're seeing kind of marginalization of the elderly and exploitation of nature and so forth. These, uh, the commodification or exploitation of all these things is a result of reducing them only to their kind of instrumental value, their utility. What can we get out of them? How can I exploit them? And as soon as that's the kind of primary way we approach nature, then we lose across the board. I mean, everything becomes, even God, you know, becomes approached in a consumeristic way. And what can I get out of God? And that's my way of approaching religion. Well, Brian, this is fantastic. We're uh, going to take a break here uh, within a minute uh, for the top of the hour. Uh, Can you stick around with us and come back and talk to us after 9 o'clock? Sure. Wonderful. You've been listening to The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr, like we've been saying at our new hour, so 8.30 to to 9. Bud, this first 30 minutes sped right on by, don't you think? Yeah, it did, and looking forward to this next part of the conversation. Still some important things to to tackle. So stick around, folks. Uh, We're getting ready to do our top of the the hour break. We'll be back with Dr. Brian Cross, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Mount uh, Mercy University, and we're talking about creation, care for creation, and uh, everything that has to, to do with that. Stick around. We'll be back in a few minutes. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff comfort me. Helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Iowa Catholic Radio. At Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we understand you. I'm Bobby from Golden Rule, and we know you probably weren't planning on needing us today, but we will put your mind at ease with a prompt response because we understand how you feel. It's how the company was built. At Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we deliver respect, understanding, loyalty, expertise, and service every time you call. We have a standard, and we prove it with every job. Golden Rule, we obey the rules to live by. Online at goldenrulephc.com. Thank you, R&R Realty Group, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. R&R Realty Group is an Iowa commercial real estate owner and developer that provides services for all commercial real estate needs, including brokerage, interior space planning, real estate management, construction, and more. R&R Realty Group has been accommodating business expansions and real estate solutions since 1985, solving commercial real estate needs. R&R Realty Group, established long-term relationships built on trust. Iowa Catholic Radio, 1150 AM, 88.5 and 94.5 FM. This is Father Chris Fontanini, Chaplain, Simpson College. Pray with us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Iowa Catholic Radio, KWKY, and K233BT Des Moines, and KIHS Adel. It's 9 o'clock. We are back with the Uncommon Good. You heard that right, folks. If you're tuning in 9 o'clock, uh, expecting the top of the show, we have now gone to our hour-plus format. We started at 8.30. There's been 30 minutes of the show that you've missed, but, of course, no worries. Uh, we always have it up on podcast. Uh, but this is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We have been talking with Dr. Brian Cross, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids, um, Iowa. We've been talking about Laudato Si', the environment, creation, Brian, thanks for sticking around with us. How, how's it going on your end? It's fine over here. Okay, good. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I wanted to move into next in our discussion, um, again, we've t- uh, I, I brought up at the top of the show that sometimes when we talk about things like the environment or even when we get it in the right mindset of creation, we should care about creation, that there's still a way that it will remain sort of ethereal and uh, formless for us. Well, like, you know, we, we want to care about creation, uh, but what does that mean in the here and now in a flesh and bone manner? Um, and as Bud has pointed out, people uh, in our day and age have tried to um, politicize uh, all of these discussions and tried to act like one side or the other should care about them and the other shouldn't. So again, the I'd say the the stereotype is that if you care about the environment, you must be on the left or something like this. Mm-hmm. Well, Roger Scruton, who is uh, nobody's uh, idea of a leftist, <laughs> he's probably very much known as a conservative philosopher, uh, wrote a book about the environment and pointed out, um, I think, something to the case of the conservative case for why we should care about the environment. And one of the things that he points out is why it's sometimes hard for people to care about nature is its abstraction. And he really pushed that what we need is a concept he called oikophilia. Oikophilia, so I mean, we're actually more used to this Greek word than we realize. 
Oiko means home, and uh, it's where we get the word economy. And philia means love. It's in the word philosophy. So oikophilia means love of home or love of place. And what he said is if we're going to ground people's concern for the environment or nature, they might have a hard time worrying about the polar bears up in the North Pole, but they certainly can start to understand how us mistreating creation has ramifications for their daily lives. So, Brian, do you think that this is something, I mean, you've taught a class about this, you've, you've talked to people. Is that one of the greatest hurdles that we have to figure out is how to make people care about where they live again in order to have these discussions about care of creation? I think so. I think we've changed uh, over the last, oh, 50 years or so. To some degree, we've become more fluid, more mobile as a society so that we tend to move. I think I just heard recently that the average American moves nine times I'm not sure if that's right. I just I remember hearing this. But that's a lot of moving, which means that we tend not to be deeply rooted or invested in the local community when we're so mobile. Uh, and the, the consequence of that is that we tend not to value or come to see with a contemplative perspective the, 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 the sacredness of what's around us, the, the, the value of the place with its history and its, its connections, and, and so its connections to our past and our so place just becomes something where, again, an instrumental value. Okay, I'm, I'm living here now because I just need somewhere to live in order to make money at this present job. Rather than seeing this place as, well, this is where my great-grandfather was, and this is where, you know, this is where he's buried, and this is where he planted crops and planted this tree. And, and then you start to see nature in a way that's deeper and more uh, rec- recognizing its long-term value and intrinsic worth. Yeah, Brian, we've talked about this some with our students as well. Yeah, and in this class on servant leadership that we teach, one of the contexts that we talk about is Haiti, and part of this is rooted in our, our college was founded by the Sisters of Mercy, mm-hmm. and they have real active ministry in Haiti. It's also the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. But as we've as we've looked at that context, one thing that I've noticed is that when we talk about care for creation, we can't rely on good intentions. So. Um, there's a huge project down there. Uh, it's called the Pelagre Dam, and um, it was it's a pro- it's a project that was a working out of a conversation between leadership in Haiti and then um, folks from other parts of the world with global concerns. But the idea was that you could build this huge dam, and it would create a lot of jobs in a country where unemployment's a real problem, and also power you know large urban centers in the area. The problem was that no one stopped to talk to the people who live near the river. And this pretty much decimated both the fishing industry there and um, the ability to farm in different ways, pig farming and also um, some of the crops that were grown near the riverbed. Um, so we can't rely on good intentions. That's that's one side of things for me. We do have to cultivate that idea of oikophilia. On the other side, though, I think when we talk to students, talking in that way it can create a kind of paralysis. So, okay... I'm not supposed to build this huge dam, and it's not just about who I vote for, but where do I begin um, boots on the ground, so to speak? I mean, even thinking about living here in Iowa, I can understand why maybe farmers are distrustful of, like, a governmental solution or, or big solutions when we talk about care for for creation. But where do we, where do we, so to speak, begin on these matters? Well, that's a difficult question. Uh... Your example from Haiti sort of illustrates something that Pope Francis talks about. He talks about a particular paradigm, this uh, systematic way of conceiving uh, of reality. And so he refers to it as the technocratic paradigm, in which he 
says is very common, and he, he criticizes it. Uh, this is the notion that, that, that the market and the, you know, the economy and technology will be the, the, the source of all our uh, solutions to our problems. And it's kind of the, the growth of the economy and the growth of technology, the advance of technology, are the measure of progress, uh, according to this paradigm. And Pope Francis says that's just inadequate because it leaves out uh, both ethics and the common good. And so uh, he's calling for a kind of ecological conversion, as he calls it, to conceive of reality, conceive of our what's around us in terms of um, not just the, the economy and technology, but in terms of the common good, which, I mean, your show has got this name right in it. Um, so that, that calls us to think about what is the common good. And that includes just not only the, the kind of global common good, but even the local common good. So thinking here about... Iowa, what is the common good? Well, it includes more than just the economy. It does include the economy and technology, but it always places that in sort of in a subservient position to what is the good of the overall community, not just humans, but including humans, but creation as well, the whole of the environment as well. So that broader question, which if had been applied in the case of Haiti, might have resulted in the dam not being built, right, because it would have foreseen, okay, there are other goods at stake besides just increasing uh, electric power and, and, you know, advancing the economy or something like that. This is The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We're speaking with Dr. Brian Cross, assistant professor at Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, Brian, one thing that comes to mind when we talk about that is uh, when the way that we can use words and concepts to um, sort of uh, either excuse ourselves or, or to be, frankly, nihilistic to say, well, there's, you know, the die is already cast, there's nothing we can do about it, so I might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, us and all of the birdies die. And, and what I mean by this is, since we're ignorant of sort of the history of even the places we're at, because like you said, either we move too much or we don't care, we can get this idea that, you know, like, well, we are humans and we live in cities and there's pristine nature and it's off somewhere, like in Yosemite National Forest or something like this. Uh, and, you know, and then so the, like, you know, that's a concern that's uh, far away from me. Or we can act like, oh, well, the die is cast. You know, the world is already ruined. So we may as well just try to make as much money while we're at it. What I think is funny is if you know anything about the history of uh, the the Great Plains or the middle of the United States, um, nothing what what we consider rural in the United States does not even look like what the place did 150 years ago. This is really the case in Oklahoma and Kansas, where I come from. Um, but I know Iowa, it's the same way. Uh, we have this idea that once you get out of city limits, you're in absolute wilderness. But that's al almost absolutely never the case anywhere in the United States outside of maybe like Montana and Alaska. Mm -hmm. We are already extricably tied up with uh with with the the natural world to call it nature and act like we're not a part of it is in some ways already the problem to act like we can divorce ourselves from that relationship and it's also funny to act like civilization somehow only happens where there's paved streets i always tell people if you want to see civilization you should go drive by a farm because that meant people have been tilling the land and that's not i mean just because there's trees doesn't mean you're in the wilderness do you think sometimes what's misguiding 
some of our relationships is just either a, a lack of a history of the place or even sort of um, the tricks we can play language-wise when we talk about things like, quote-unquote, nature or civilization. Yeah. It's interesting to read the history of the environment in the U.S. I read about it. Uh, this class that I taught this past January, we, we looked at some of the writings of uh, John Muir and Aldo Leopold and just, you know, the... The, the way they described uh, kind of the original wilderness as they came through it, even then some of it was already changed. But um, there's a way in which uh, even Pope Francis talks about a kind of urban blight, which is he's not criticizing uh, kind of cities at all. He's saying that there's a way of uh, that humans need contact with nature. It doesn't have to be absolute wilderness, you know, like Yosemite, but to be in a city that doesn't make take note of that human need for contact with nature is a kind of deprivation of what we as humans are. Uh, man does not live by right alone. We don't live by concrete and glass alone either. We need contact with nature to understand who we are as part of nature, as you said earlier. Um, and, and so this is something that he's calling us to, uh, going back to recognition that that we're part of nature and that we need that contact with it. I think I'm reminded of this story. I think it was Pope Leo the Thirteenth who was concerned that there was too many there were too many city lights at night in in Italy, and so that obstructed people's view. The light pollution was obstructing people's view of the stars, and he was concerned that this would take away from people's view of ability to see God in the stars at night. Uh, and I, I think that's marvelous because he's recognizing that our ability to see both God, to, to kind of encounter God in, in creation, and to know ourselves, who we really are as part of creation, as part of the natural order, and therefore with the responsibility of stewardship, that requires some kind of real connection to nature, some kind of contact that's authentic with nature. Brian, um, one thing that I think might be on our listeners' minds, because I know I've wrestled with this in the past, but when you get into the literature on environmentalism here, and I'm thinking here not so much what the popes have written and the tradition of Catholic social teaching, but if you think about environmentalism as the conversation takes place in the world, and let's just be honest, out there there's there's authors and thinkers who say fundamentally the problem is overpopulation, and there becomes this kind of misanthropic uh, human beings, like too many human beings are what's ultimately destroying the earth, and this for Catholics, you know, some, some sirens really go off here with our openness to life. And, and of course, the churches um, stand against artificial contraception. Um, the popes have had things to say about this, though, that we, we can't focus on. Like, that's a, that's a false solution, right, as well, to say, well, we simply need less human beings running around. Right. It's not like it's impossible theoretically, as though the earth is just infinite. Yeah. But rather what Pope Francis says in the document is that this is kind of a a red herring in a way, that that the, the problem is not fundamentally the number of humans. At least right now, the environmental problem is not that. It rather has an, a moral source or root, which he calls, a, uh, in the beginning, the very introduction of the document, he says that we have a mistaken conception of ourselves. We, we tend to see ourselves as lords and masters over uh, the earth rather than as stewards. So that's a mistaken view of, of creation, but also a mistaken view of ourselves, uh, kind of a, the opposite of humility. It's a kind of arrogance about who we are. We sort of put our place, ourselves in the place of God. 
And then secondly, he says that the source of this um, environmental crisis is a violence in the human heart, and essentially a spiritual sickness. And these would be, you know, the vices of greed and selfishness and so forth over, you know, consumption. And these, this is where he locates the environmental, the root of the environmental problem, which he's not denying the environmental problem, but he's identifying the real root of it rather than just the number of people on the planet. Brian, one thing that um, really struck, that, that stuck with me <clears throat> um, in Laudato Si is Pope Francis uh, refers to Romano Gardini's book, uh, Letters from Lake Como. And so I then went and read that. And one of the big uh, takeaways from that book, uh, I think maybe clears up some confusion that people have. Because what maybe they'll hear, and usually they're, when people think this, they're not being charitable. But even sometimes people go like, okay, you've said all this, so what do we need to do? Do we need to go back and live in grass huts? You know, should we uh, not eat anything? You know, like, what, if, if we're the problem, what, what do we do at all? And... Romano Gardini has this wonderful image that when he, he went to Lake Como as a kid, it wasn't that human beings didn't harness nature towards an end. He says human beings have been doing that since we've got, you know, going as a species. But he said, you know, if you look at the technologies that he grew up with on Lake Como, you know, a sailboat. And a sailboat is this human manufacturer, a thing a human made. But it, so to speak, glides atop the water. It goes with the wind. There's a way in which humanity had made a technology that, so to speak, worked hand in glove with the environment. He said if you looked around and you looked at the houses at Lake Como when he grew up, they followed the line of the hills. There were no straight lines that really things sort of went with the warp and weft of how nature was there. So it's not that humans didn't harness the environment, but that they... The harnessing worked in harmony, to go back to that word you're talking about, with nature itself. He said when he was going back later in his life, and this is like, I think, the late 40s or 50s. I, I might be wrong. Uh, don't quote me on that. But he said already it started to change, right? Boats now had motors, so they didn't glide atop the waves or go with the wind, but they cut through the waves and they made new ripples on their own. Houses no longer were built on hills. They would actually flatten hills so that the houses could all be in a straight line. And for Romano Gardini, it was just that little difference, right? That instead of using our technology and our in ingenuity with nature, we figured out how to oppose nature and manipulate nature. Do you think that that might be a starting point for people to think what in my own life might be concrete ways to change? Sure, it's a great example. Uh, it illustrates the, the, the difference between that technocratic paradigm in which nature is just a kind of raw material which to play with in, in the sense of just having no intrinsic teleology or purpose or dignity, which is something you can just do with whatever you want. Uh, on the other hand, recognizing the natural order. So this is what Pope Francis calls integral ecology, right? recognizing the natural order and seeing our place within it rather than as kind of above it as Lord and Master. And if we see our role within it, ourselves as part of nature, as stewards of nature, then to live in harmony with nature means recognizing and living in harmony with the natural order. Uh, I mean, this is when Jesus says, you know, look at the lily of the field, right? Look at the birds. There's a kind of um, appeal to nature, not in the sense that it guarantees if we, we can derive everything regarding morality just by looking at the birds, but 
by recognizing that there's a natural order and that living ethically, living in accordance with the will of God and becoming more Christ-like even, so growing in holiness, means also at the same time growing in our harmony with nature, with the natural order. But that, of course, requires recognizing the natural order rather than just seeing um, nature as uh, chemicals and atoms and laws of physics and so forth, but recognizing, okay, there's a natural order here to which if I'm to live a virtuous and holy life, I must live in conformity with. And that's a different way of seeing it. It results from what he calls uh, uh, ecological education or aesthetic education, a kind of contemplative education to see not just nature in in a superficial way as something to exploit, but rather to see more deeply into nature, which in order to see that natural order. And I'll come out, I'll just come right out and say this. You know, there's nothing more traditional than believing that harmony and limits is a guiding principle for what we do. There's nothing more quote-unquote conservative than to say, that we, we're not going to do whatever we can just because we can, but that we're going to order our actions towards a goal along with boundaries that God in nature has set. And so I, I guess that's my final hashtag shots fired, is when people want to try to politicize this too much, and I want to say, look, to care about creation, is there's literally fewer things that are more traditional and there's literally fewer things more conservative. And so if we're going to try to uh, make petty differences in this, we're really barking up the wrong tree to act like um, it's, quote-unquote, the province of only liberals uh, to care about the environment. I think that's exactly right, because the, the natural order to which I was just referring extends into the family, into marriage, into sexuality. And so all the, the confusion we see there now in some ways is also connected to the natural order. And so issues that that those on the right are concerned with, those have their grounding in the natural order there as well. And so, and people on the left uh, in regard to the environment. So we can ground their concerns about the environment by appealing to the natural order there too. So this is perhaps a, I mean, at least in my experience, this is a place where we can find some common ground. And common ground sounds good to us on the common or ground. uncommon ground. Uncommon <laughs> ground. <laughs> well, uh, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Brian Cross, assistant professor of philosophy at Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Brian, it has been fantastic. Thank you for being the first guinea pig to talk to us for a full forty minutes. It's been my pleasure. Well, please come back, Brian. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Well, thank you, guys. We'll be back in a minute with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Barr. Stick around. We'll be right back. Serves Des Moines and Central Iowa for all earth-moving and excavating needs. Family-owned since 1959, Corel Contractor will complete a project you can be proud of on budget and on time. Corel Contractor, 515-221-9669. CorelContractor.com. Iowa Catholic Radio will be hosting our next Ladies Mosaic Luncheon starting at noon, June 8th at Our Lady of the Immaculate Heart Parish in Ankeny. Join the Mosaic community of Catholic women who meet monthly for lunch and fellowship. This month's luncheon will feature Jenny Condon from InterVisions Healthcare. They provide women facing unplanned pregnancies with truthful information, ultrasounds, and free medical care. There is no charge for the lunch, so pre-register now at iowacatholicradio.com under Events tab or call 515-223-1150. 
Hi, this is Marty McDonald with McDonald Imaging Solutions, and it's been my joy to support Iowa Catholic Radio by printing the famous Pope on a Stick fans used at the Iowa State Fair. We also printed the Our Catholic Schools Rock folders. McDonald Imaging Solutions is a family-owned business with over 1.5 million promotional items to choose from. We specialize in custom labeling, marketing, and corporate apparel. I personally help any business, big or small, to build their brand. Online at McDonaldImagingSolutions.com. 276-2587. Iowa Catholic Radio is looking for smiling volunteers. Would you like to be a part of our Christ-centered environment to spread the word of God? Iowa Catholic Radio hosts over a dozen events where you could answer the phones, register event attendees, maybe help at the state fair. There's lots to do. Please join the Iowa Catholic Radio family of volunteers and give us a call at 515-223-1150. Thank you. Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences downtown Des Moines for underwriting the uncommon good with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We're heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. on the Iowa Catholic Radio Network. A fun and engaging new show that we hope our listeners will love. Be sure to listen. We're back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. If you just heard that commercial, well, we got news for you. We're not on at 9 a.m. anymore. We are now on 8.30 to 9.40. Man, Bud, we're about done with this show, and I was worried about how long it would take, but it's really been burning through. Well, no, it's about 9.23, and Deacon Tony said we have to be off. Hard hard stop at 9.37, so don't get tackled by the Deacon. <laughs> I know. I, well, he Did you does play this- football in high school? What do you Football? No, I didn't. But the, the uh, spin class was, makes you your reflexes are very fast. Football injury, you know, I I, I fell off the bench and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, okay, well, I still am worried about getting tackled by you, so I will not I will not exceed the nine thirty seven hour. Well, but for our first uh, uh, hour plus show, uh, we don't have a great moments, but I think we have an unbrilliant question. So, Bo, the unbrilliant question that's been bouncing around in the old noggin as we talked was: Does Ladauto see mean that I have to purchase a hybrid car? Yes. Okay, and that's all you got to do. Well, this bit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, and you know it, it's funny. I always feel a little guilty when we're talking about La Datusi in an air-conditioned room. Yeah. Pope Francis is not the biggest fan of air conditioning. I'm like, well, Pope, you don't weigh as much as I do. No, I'm kidding. Your, your love of air conditioning is really a concern for other people, right? That's right. Well, no, and I will say this is that as much as, as, as I can come off like a Luddite, and there's many things about the modern world that I would be totally okay tossing, um, for the sake of people sitting around me, I do appreciate showers and deodorant. Mm-hmm. However, so, okay, unbrilliant question. Does that mean that, like, there's this checklist of things? Now, what I want to point out is when we have this idea that, oh, in order to be in caring about creation, what I need to do is go make economic choices plays exactly right back into what Brian was pointing out about Pope Francis. This is the techno, what did he say, the techno? Technocratic solution. Yeah, so it's an economic one, right? So we look at uh, the problem with the environment and go like, oh, I'm buying wrong. I'm purchasing wrong. Well, Pope Francis is pointing out that the entire way that we got into this mess in the first place is by viewing the entire world as a consumeristic choice. We view the environment as a commodity. So if we're going to try to fight 
consumeristic fire with consumeristic fire, we're not going to make any improvement. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that I don't think economic choices matter. I think they do. Mm -hmm. But it's silly to act like the way that we can change this paradigm is by simply uh, choosing to buy different stuff and that be the only thing we do about it. This gets back to something that you brought up last week, Bo, where you mentioned Plato's Republic. And maybe a better translation of that has to do with the polis or the city. When we talk about the common good, it really is the goods that we share in common. And so maybe this is a way to unify that kind of like um, the joking about air conditioning with what you were saying about summertime and getting out. I mean, one impact of air conditioning is I think people are less likely to sit out on their porches in the evening during the summertime. And that can be a really powerful way to have conversations with our neighbors, which again is an important concept in sacred scripture. But I, I think we challenged folks with this last week, but as Catholics, don't be afraid like to think about how can I get involved with the most important conversations that are happening in my community. Like, don't wait till you turn the spigot on and you've got green sludge coming out of the faucet. Having those robust conversations about the water we use, the, the food that we eat, you know, how we even organize our streets and our city lights. You know, I, I love that example that Brian Cross brought up about um, making it possible for our kids to see the stars. I mean, those are all really vital conversations. I think uh, I have an, uh, a memory that you spurred when you talked about being out on our porches in the summer. So uh, when I was in high school, we lived in Pretty Prairie, Kansas. Yes, very original name. The founder, she evidently... Uh, went by on a horse and said, my, what a pretty prairie, and the name Boom. stuck. <laughs> I'm glad she didn't say, like, it's not bad, because then I would be from It's Not Bad, Kansas, uh, for high school. But pretty prairie, Kansas. Um, we were on the end of both the Wichita and Hutchinson, Kansas uh, power systems. So when power went off, we were the last people to get it back. So one time in the summer, they had a pretty bad power outage, and I think we were out power for like three days straight, mm -hmm. middle of the summer. And I'm going to tell you, you really got to know your neighbors better that summer um, than you had in a long time. We literally were all out, blah, blah, blah. It was, and it was great. Now, the thing that's funny about this is you, would, you could take me saying like, oh, well, we should be all Luddites and power is bad. Absolutely not. Power is not bad. I love air conditioning. And I think about, you know, Mercy Medical Center and what would we not be able to do without electricity. But what I guess I'm trying to say is that we're making a false dichotomy, either never use power or use it because you have it. It's one more case where we have become enslaved to our tools instead of us using our tools well. Just because you have something doesn't mean you've got to use it up. And I think that maybe that starts to be what we're talking about with the technocratic paradigm, consumerism, the standing reserve, is a lot of times we'll look at something we have and we'll go like, oh, well, so do I just have to give it up, Bo? And you're like, well, no, but just maybe don't use it all the way that you can. I know Brian Cross, uh, when I was visiting him at uh, Mount Mercy, he the videos he shows in class <laughs> to show that like people getting it like wrong on both ends, he shows one video where there's a woman just crying, hugging a tree. Mm. And then there's another video where there's, have you heard of rolling coal? <laughs> no. This is something that only... Uh, this is this is something that obviously happens in Oklahoma. So what it does is people trick out their engines, and by trick out, I mean they destroy their uh, exhaust systems so that when they drive around, it emits just black fog, and they call it rolling coal, and it's supposedly <laughs> a cool thing to do. So so Brian points out like, hey, 
we don't need to necessarily fall into either of these extremes, right? You don't need to go, like, hug a tree and cry with it, but you also don't need to just emit black fog because you can. There has to be some golden mean between those two, and it's grounded in how we think we should use our tools. The technocratic paradigm will say we should use it until it's used up, but this idea of an integral ecology says we can use tools for the common good that includes more than just humans. Just as an aside, I want to get this out on air. Um, I'm trademarking that name, Rolling Coal, mm. for my bluegrass band. Mm. <laughs> I actually think you might be too late. Okay. Like, this is a. No, I, I don't want to give these idiots any more airtime, but go to YouTube. You can put in Rolling Coal, and, like, it's a thing, brother. Yeah, I'm sure there's t shirts already, and. Yeah. Okay. And they probably made those t shirts as environmentally <laughs> devastating as possible. Well, you know, in thinking about all these matters, Bo, I also thought back to a mentor of ours, Stanley Harawas, and I think he took this from a thinker named Charles Taylor, but he talked about the social imaginary and kind of cultivating a way of seeing the world. I think as Catholics, we're just perfectly situated for precisely this sort of thing, because as Catholics, we're supposed to have a sacramental worldview. And when we go to the liturgy, when we receive the grace of God, we see that God comes to us not as a pure spirit, but he uses... The goods of this earth, uh, holy oil, water, um, bread, wine, these are all ways that God mediates his grace to us. And so for me, when, when thinking about um, a proper relationship to the created order, I think it starts with the liturgy. And part of that means when you go to Mass, not seeing it as this private experience between me and God, but this is really, um, again, us offering the blessings that God's given us back to the Father. And, and it unites us in a way, not only with those who are in the pews around us, but with the church around the world. I think this just fundamentally alters the way that we live our lives. Man, I like that idea about the social imaginary. I think about it, too. Uh, I, I said this earlier, but just to kind of go a little bit deeper into it. Um, we th To show you how alienated we are from nature, so-called, people will act like they're dealing with nature if they're in their lawn. Your lawn. I want you to realize <laughs> that if you were in Iowa in 1750, there was no Bermuda grass. You haven't seen my lawn. That's right. That it's is not jungle. the wilderness. No. Okay. <laughs> People will go in the rural areas and they'll be like, ah, the wilderness. I'm like, you're on a paved road. <laughs> like, when plants grow in a row, that's civilization. That doesn't happen naturally. There is no bird that poops seed in nice rows that make plants grow in rows. That is not the wilderness. You're still in civilization. We're so alienated, bud, from the na natural world that, like, if we drive somewhere where there's not a building, we act like we are in the abject wilderness. Yeah. To show you how alienated we are from what most of our ancestors were familiar with. And so it's no wonder. I mean, I was talking um, with, uh, I was on Cresta in the afternoon with John yesterday. And I was talking about how we've domesticated God. It's no wonder we domesticate God. We've so domesticated ourselves that we see a tree and we're like, oh, Tarzan. Yeah. But like we, nearly every tree you see in a town, someone else planted. And so I think that it goes both ways, right? Like our social imaginary, um, the liturgy doesn't affect us in a cosmic way. And then we don't understand ourselves in a larger network of earth. You guys, you got to get outside. And by outside, I mean something more than your lawn. It really goes back in a lot of ways to humanity's original sin, right? Yes. That, um, I, you know, I think about Adam and Eve and the temptation that Satan set before them, 
in some sense, it really was a desire to transcend limits. I mean, God had given the goods of the earth to Adam and Eve and said, I'll, I'll take care of what you need. And it was like humanity did, did not trust the word of God. And so any way we can cultivate that kind of deep dependency on the Father and on the, on the gifts that he gives to us. And again, I think a lot of this goes back to the liturgy. We've talked before on the show about the organization of time and the rhythms of life. Um, if you've ever experienced the older form of the liturgy, you've got something like ember days where mm. there's times of fasting and then, of course, coming back to feasting built in into the entire church here. We've also mentioned Corpus Christi coming up here. I mean, like both saying, uh, if you live inside, say, Des Moines city limits, like when we talk about nature, yeah, we, we're qualifying things a bit. And yet anytime I think that we can get outside and f- as our church community, something like a Corpus Christi procession to be unabashed and unapologetic about that. It's a way to rub shoulders with our true neighbors and to say to the broader community, like we're not here shut within these walls. We have a concern about the common good about this, this place, this whole place. You know, I think that, man, I mean, that's great stuff, but I, I think of that people really, they look for this. And, and the proof of this is people go to the grand Canyon by the millions and I think part of the reason something like the Grand Canyon really sticks out to us is you're like, that thing has existed longer than any of us have. Yeah. And it's going to be there when we're gone. But even there, we can figure out ways to run that experience. So I remember the last time we were at the Grand Canyon, what were people doing? Well, they had their stinking phones in front of them. So like the Grand Canyon, they can't even just experience the Grand Canyon. They have to put a phone in front of it and take a picture and make memories. Like, no, just look at the canyon. Yeah. Look at the canyon. That, that that's that's going to be our first T-shirt. Look, Look at, at the canyon. canyon. Give him a pickle. <laughs> um, but I think that that has the same thing with mass. Like yeah. we can't just be at mass. It's like we have to consume mass too, instead of just being at mass. I am going to yeah. I am going to sound like an old fart saying this, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. I mean, one gifts that we one gift that we can really give our children is the gift of silence and being kind of heavy handed and forcing them to turn off their phones. And I'm pointing my finger at myself here because mass each week is a gift to me because it forces me to step away from that. You know, we've had our students do an unplugged exercise where they spend 30 minutes in silence. Yeah. And some of them almost go out of their minds. Yeah. It's, it starts being scary. Well, speaking of, uh, doing the will of another Tony, he's starting to dust the cleats off. Like he's going to tackle us here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have in my mind, like, the Bryce Harper charging to the mound. That's right. I wonder how well Tony can throw a, a helmet. <laughs> Bench-clearing brawl. I've got temper management after this, so let's hustle it up, huh? <laughs> well, folks, we've it's been wonderful to have you for our first hour-plus show. Bo, bud, how do you think it went? No, that's fun. I I think the interviews are going to be more substantive because you are always, on the radio always up against the clock. But I felt like with Brian, that kind of new format gave us the time to, to dive deep into things. Well, thanks for joining us for the entire time. Uh, the Rosary is coming up next. You can do Bible in a Year every morning. We have the Man Up gig coming up June 24th that you should listen to. And, of course, we are a nonprofit. Uh, we always can use your help because when you send money, you're not just funding something. You are being part of our ministry here at Iowa Catholic Radio. So for uh, Bud Marr, I'm Bo Bonner. Um, This is The Uncommon Good. We hope and pray that the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, reigns in your hearts, in your families, in our city, in our town, in the entire world, in our environment, and all of creation. This has been The Uncommon Good. God bless. We will see you next week. 
The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio and on the official Iowa Catholic Radio app. 